0: In this episode of Ask Paul Kirtley, we are going to talk about axe stones and keeping them in shape using a parang in the boreal forest, quilts versus sleeping bags, particularly at this time of year, bushcraft courses, age and demographics, when to use the finer side of a sharpening stone and any visits for me to North America for bushcraft festivals. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to episode 79 of Ask Paul Kirtley. And for those of you that are regular listeners or viewers, yes, it has been a little while since the last episode of Ask Paul Kirtley. I'm currently in the northeast of England out just grabbing a bit of fresh air. I've stopped off here on my way back from Scotland and I've been working in Scotland for a month. All of October I was working in Scotland. We had a couple of River Spey canoe trips, so two weeks of canoe trips there and then um, had a bit of a a time a few days just doing some walking and mountain biking on my own and then i went over to get ready for the forest hunter course that i've been uh, running with andy chatterton of moray outfitting and those of you that listen to the paul kirtley podcast will probably remember andy he's been on a couple of times on the paul kirtley podcast and we ran a course together for the first time up in the highlands of scotland in the last full week of October and that went very well. Um, Wasn't quite full, nine out of the 10 places were taken, um, but everyone got a lot out of the course. And if you're interested in what that course is about or the spay trips as well, I'll put links in the the notes below the videos and the podcast, and you can check those out if you want. Um, No hard sell there. It's just that um, I do get a lot of questions from people who find my material on youtube and on podcasts and remember this podcast goes out as an audio file all over the web ends up on lots of different podcast apps um, so I do get people contacting me saying, "Where can I find out more about your courses?" Um, because they know I run courses, but there's no direct link from from any of the stuff that they're watching or listening to. Um, so if you just go to frontierbushcraft.com um, and then click on the courses tab, um, or frontierbushcraft.com/forward/slash/courses, you will find the courses there. And also on that website are the the trips and the expeditions that I do as well. So everything is on frontierbushcraft.com. Frontierbushcraft.com is my uh, bushcraft and wilderness skills training company so you can find everything there um so yeah and we even had a bit of snow at the end of the uh, at the end of the forest hunter it was a bit of a strange week it started off warm and windy um and uh, the uh, the tarp teepee that we built uh, just about withstood the gales we had to do a few adjustments and tie it down a bit tighter but it all worked it provided a nice warm space for us very sort of traditional style of camp with a with an open fire inside and we cooked and stayed warm in there a little bit smoky sometimes because of the uh the pine that we were burning but um yeah it was it was very um authentic in terms of that sort of northern forest bushcraft camp and that was great experience for everyone there and uh, yeah the, the weather changed right through from sort of warm last couple of days temperature dropped and we got a couple of inches of of snow overnight on the last uh, on the last night and into the first into the first day that we were packing up camp so that was quite interesting but it's got mild again today um, i'm out for a walk and um, I'm, I'm almost sweating uh, i have to say it's, it's got very mild winds changed right around but it is feeling pretty autumnal now it is feeling like the autumn is here um so that kind of brings you up to date with what i've been doing and where i am and i'm enjoying being out at this time of year um, it certainly feels very different to um i got back from canada in mid-september we did a trip in canada um, i had a A a, a sort of a week or so of doing things in around the UK and then I travelled up to do the spay trips and it felt like the beginning of autumn then it was just on the turn and now it really feels like we're kind of going properly into the winter although it feels warm which is is a bit peculiar Um, so I'm hoping for a bit of snow before too long sorry to those people that hate snow but I do like a proper a proper winter and uh, i'm looking forward to a bit of snow in the uk hopefully this this winter people keep saying we're in for a for a cold winter after all the warm weather that we had in the summer but I don't know how certain that is, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, those of you that watch this show regularly as a YouTube show will remember maybe this spot. Um, I've done shows here, particularly in the winter before. It's a little bit hard to get in here in the summer. It gets very overgrown, but I like to come here in the autumn and the winter, and I have done at least one of the uh, Paul as Paul Kirtleys from here, um, surrounded by snow, but it's a lot more mild today. Um, <clears throat> and I know I'm rambling on a little bit, but I'm just thinking about just catching you up on everything that I've been up to. Um, The other thing, the other thing that I should tell you about is I've been thinking long and hard about this over the past um, month or so that I've not done um, any Ask Paul Kirtleys, and those of you that follow the Paul Kirtley podcast will have noticed an uptick in activity over at the Paul Kirtley podcast. So we've had um, an interview with Will Lord, which was uh, very well received. A lot of people found that very interesting. And if you've not listened to that interview with Will Lord, I'd encourage you to go across to the Paul Kirtley podcast and listen to that. Um, I'll put links again below the videos and the podcast on my blog. Um, If you want to subscribe to the Paul Kirtley podcast I've set up a link and you can go to paulkirtley.co.uk forward slash podcast subscribe podcast subscribe all one word and there are links there that you can use to subscribe to the podcast and of course you can do that directly off my site via an RSS feed or you can do it on iTunes, Apple podcast apple podcasting app um and uh, stitcher player fm and there's a number of others that are it's popping up on as well and i'll keep adding there so basically you can uh, find a podcast app that suits you and and listen that way it is an audio only podcast um, lots of good interviews we had um uh, a sort of more magazine issue when I was in Sweden in late August at the Bushcraft Festivalen, so it was the latest um, Bushcraft Festivalen, the, the third Bushcraft Festival and the third one that I've been to actually, so it's been nice to be um, involved in that from the start and um, I caught up with a few people there, Um, Lars Faltz, um, Juhar Rankinen, um, Jonas Als, and uh, Julia Kaltov as well, so um, sort of little slots with them, eight, ten minute, conversations with them and also i caught up with um rupert brown briefly there as well and rupert's been on the podcast before as well so that's interesting lots of interesting stuff going on at bushcraft festival and nice to catch up um, with the uh, the swedish contingent there and the danish of course with with jonas jonas al was on my podcast last year so lots to listen to there um also by the time this ask paul Kirtley is out the Podcast 33 um, will be out as well. Just had to keep up with numbers there because I've always got several ahead that haven't been published. So I always have to remember which one's next. So the next one coming out will be an interview with Kevin Brownlee. And that will already be out by the time that this Paul Kirtley uh, Q&A is on, um, on the interwebs. And that is an interview with a very interesting man who is. Um, of uh, Cree uh, heritage in uh, northern Manitoba and he is the curator of archaeology at the Manitoba Museum and has been for quite some time a good long number of years and it's quite a fascinating collection they have there and very representative of First Nations life in that part of the northern plains and southern boreal forest and into the boreal proper with the woodland caribou etc there as you head up towards Churchill in northern Manitoba. Real diversity of um, habitat there as it transitions from where you had bison um, right up through to where you've got polar bears effectively within Manitoba. So um, it is quite a diverse province and they have an absolutely fantastic collection of um, archaeological uh, items at the uh, manitoba museum and so i caught up with kevin while i was in canada in september i caught up with kevin and we had quite a wide-ranging discussion and so those of you that are interested in um, primitive technology um, primitive ceramics uh pottery uh, if if you don't know what that means um and life in the boreal forest and um, how first nations lived in that part of the world and also how they still do live in that part of the world and how kevin is bringing um the views of the communities the first nations communities into um interpreting what the archaeology is telling them about how people lived in that part of the world going back from now all the way back to the the previous um, the last ice age so that was a real fascinating conversation and one I think will surprise quite a few of you in how rich that conversation is so please check that out so if you don't subscribe to the Paul Kirtley podcast I would recommend that you do if you have interest in bushcraft skills um, and wider outdoor skills journeying skills all of that is in that in that show and that is my main podcast and as I say I am ramping that up and I know you want me to get onto the questions but this is important because as I say I've been thinking long and hard I've been ramping the Paul Kirtley podcast up again there's a interview with Lou Rudd coming up and you'll Those of you that listen to the Paul Curtley podcast will know that Lou was on uh, the podcast a couple of years ago talking about his Antarctic expeditions. He has since done another Antarctic expedition, the Spear 17 expedition, where he and a team of Army Reserves crossed, traversed Antarctica via the South Pole. And he is currently, as I record this, he has just set out to undertake a solo, unaided, unsupported crossing of Antarctica. And if he succeeds in that, he will be the first human being to ever have done that. So good luck to to Lou. Um, That is another podcast that is coming very shortly on the Paul Kirtley podcast. And as I say, if you don't subscribe to the Paul Kirtley podcast, please do subscribe. I will put links everywhere, YouTube, underneath go to paulcurley.co.uk forward slash podcast, subscribe. You can subscribe to the podcast and you will get get those episodes. And I've got more good episodes coming. I have got some really good people um, lined up coming through the winter as well. And so the other thing, this is the reason why I'm framing all of this, because I have that platform and that is by far the more popular audio podcast, um that is one reason so i've been running these two podcasts audio podcasts in parallel the paul kirtley podcast and the ask paul kirtley podcast and what i'm going to do um, like a lot of other people who have podcasts do is that i'm going to have A Q&A session as part of my main podcast so effectively i'm going to merge ask paul kirtley into the Paul Kirtley podcast but I don't want it to dominate it so I'm going to have probably about once a month I'm going to have quite a wide ranging Q&A and you can still use the ask paul Kirtley hashtag ask paul Kirtley hashtag to leave uh, questions you can email me you can leave the speakpipe questions you can use a hashtag ask paul curtley on twitter on Instagram, and I will still get those in exactly the same way. Nothing changes in terms of the way that you that you ask the question. Just the where I answer the question will change slightly. So to get the answers to those questions, you're going to need to subscribe to the Paul Kirtley podcast, okay? So I'm going to do Ask Paul Kirtley 79, which is today's podcast, and I'm going to do Ask Paul Kirtley 80. And at the end of 80, that will be... The close of the Aspore Curtley. So, I've done 80 episodes of Aspore Curtley, and I have been asked um, the same questions quite a lot. So, there is that bank of questions that is there as a sort of reference point. That is there, but going forwards, what I'm going to do is have a Q&A on the Paul Kirtley podcast. So I'll remind you again on the next one, but I would recommend going across, just press pause now, go across to the Paul Kirtley podcast. Don't do it if you're driving, um, but otherwise, go across to the uh, Paul Kirtley podcast and subscribe because that is where all the good stuff is going to be. And the perceptive amongst you will also realize that that means that that will be the end of the video version of the Q&A. Um, I know a lot of you are, um, are very loyal viewers of Paul of Ask Paul Kirtley on YouTube. And some of you also watch it on my blog. Not so many on my blog, a lot of you watch it on YouTube. But YouTube's changed. Um, what people want on YouTube has changed and um, frankly it's not doing my channel a great deal of good a lot of you have said to me paul why have you only got 30 odd thousand viewers and i know that's the subscribers i know that's a lot by some people's standards but there are some very big bushcraft channels out there and you know <sighs> A lot of people are concerned that I'm not getting to the audience that I could be with technical skills, so what I'm going to do with my YouTube channel, I'm still going to do some trip reports and and, and films, but I'm going to focus more on skills on my YouTube channel, because that's a visual thing. You know, that's a visual thing. Not to mention the fact that some people who aren't familiar with Aspore Curtley, Kirtley, they come onto my YouTube channel and say, oh, you just sat there talking about stuff. You never do anything. Um, I actually do an awful lot of physical skill training with people, and one of the things that came out of looking at the work that I did with Mike Pullen over at TA Outdoors was that I felt I should be doing more skills-based stuff of my own as well. Um, the, uh, the engagement with the Aspore Kirtleys on YouTube has been declining, unfortunately. YouTube seems to be penalising me for having a lot of that type of content on there. Um, I'm going to move it over to audio and a lot of you who watch it watch it on YouTube anyway just put the video on and listen to it and go off and do something else you put the video on your phone etc you can do that with a podcast anyway and it's actually better for your bandwidth it's better for your data Uh, if you've got a data allowance you're not going to use as much you're streaming all that video that you don't need you just need the audio I'm not doing anything that you need to see largely it's just me talking and answering questions the best place for that is is audio, Um, which kind of brings me full circle, because originally I was going to do the Ask Paul just as an audio podcast, and then I decided to put it on to YouTube, because I, I like just sitting down, like today, in the middle of a walk and answering your questions while I have a cup of coffee or what have you, and then I carry on on my walk, but I've had to really think about how i do things and you know i'm spreading myself a little bit thin i'm trying to run two podcasts i'm putting these on my blog i'm putting these on youtube um, i put these as an audio on soundcloud as well and very few of you um, i know some of you are really wedded to that but very few of you actually use that as well so i'm going to rationalize which means i can do more because i'm not spending all my time trying to get all of this stuff in multiple different places all over the internet i'm going to have one podcast the paul curtley podcast where i'm going to do interviews long form stuff where i might talk about a particular subject and also q a yeah it's going to maintain the focus on long form in depth with experts and people with unique experiences but i will also roll into the into that the ask Paul Kirtley questions and then my youtube channel is going to focus on more skills and trips and things where the visuals are really essential and that means I can rationalize things that way I'm not trying to promote two podcasts within iTunes etc etc I can focus everything there it's got more visibility and hopefully then everything starts to to snowball a, a little bit more from there and rather than me spreading things right across different platforms so um, hopefully that makes sense still subscribe to my youtube channel there's going to be a ton of good stuff here that you're going to need to see you're going to need to watch if you're watching this on youtube if you're listening to this on an audio podcast you're already familiar with podcasts you're happy with podcasts just make sure you subscribe to the paul kirtley podcast as well and if you're on my blog at the moment listening to this or watching this you're still going to be able to listen to everything via my blog and you're still also going to get any videos I produce via my blog so you can stay subscribed to my blog that way. But please, 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 two things I could ask you to subscribe to to make sure you subscribe to. If you're not subscribed to my YouTube channel and you use YouTube at all, please subscribe to that for tons of skills etc etc and if you're not subscribed to the Paul Kirtley podcast on some sort of audio platform please subscribe iTunes, Apple podcasting app, Stitcher, Player FM, Podbean, there's loads of them and I'll make sure if there's any that you want it to be on that it's not on that you use for all your favorite podcasts please email me yeah paul at paulkirtley.co.uk tell me which platform you want it to be on and i will do my utmost to get my podcast on that platform for you okay so long long intro today but there's some big changes afoot um there's lots of good stuff coming um there is a lot of good interview material coming on the paul kirtley podcast and i will continue to focus on skills on my YouTube channel, uh, which is what a lot of people have been asking for. Do more stuff um, and I'm gonna do that okay so you're still going to get all of the information that you're getting already it's just going to be slightly slightly differently oriented and actually optimized it's that's the way to think about it it's going to be optimized for the formats yeah I'm not going to be just sitting here talking on YouTube YouTube doesn't like that a lot of YouTube viewers don't like that Um, it's all going to go onto audio podcasts which are growing uh, considerably and we're going to focus on the visuals on the visual media, which makes sense, doesn't it? Anyway, questions, 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 questions. Let's have a look, because I got, I got lots of good questions axe stones and keeping them in shape so this is from wellsby roots who's asked questions before hi dave how are you doing good to hear from your mate and um, wellsby roots asks um hey paul um, a subject of caring for your axe stones came up as a result of a conversation in regards to axe care what axe stones would you recommend are Grands are for the best option and how does one care for them one person mentioned using sandpaper or a flattening stone to keep them in good shape. I didn't really understand the concept. Best regards, thanks and best regards, Dave. Yeah, well, I personally use the Gransforce uh, axe stones. Um, <clears throat> my personal one is one of the old ones, which is uh, a natural stone. Um, Gransforce stopped producing those and they produce a synthetic stone uh, version now as well, um, or instead of. And actually, that's just as good in my experience. I have Probably half a dozen of those stones in my um, equipment box at Frontier Bushcraft that we use on courses and that we have students use for sharpening axes on our uh, woodcraft course, for example and um, they work very well Um you just need to uh you've got a choice you can soak them in water and dry them out as you know as and when you use them like a water stone or you can start using oil with them in, in which case once they've got oil impregnated them you can't then start using water because the the oil repels the water it doesn't really work so you've got that choice to start off with um but either way they work they work well um and the way that you sharpen an axe, and, and again this is one of the videos I'm going to do on my YouTube channel, the way that you sharpen an axe, um, axes have a convex bevel typically, even quite a fine general purpose axe, say like a Grand 4's small forest axe or a Holter 4's um, hunter's axe or whatever, they've all got these, um, they don't have big splitting uh, wedge heads, they have quite fine heads and then they come round to the cutting edge, but that bit that comes round to the cutting edge is convex and so if you put a flat stone on that um, it's only touching tangentially it doesn't cover the whole bevel so to take metal off the whole bevel you need to change vary the angle of the stone which is why you want a stone that's not too long because if it's too long that if you're using a bench stone for example you're going to work that those different angles and eventually the stone's going to come down and touch the cheek of the axe and you can't get the back of the bevel Um, so you end up just using one end of the of the bench stone anyway so you might as well just use something that's maybe half that length so one option would be to get a a Japanese water stone for example and saw it in half yep good quality hacksaw blade or an angle grinder or something you could saw one of those in half and that's something that is a relatively inexpensive axe stone that you can carry on your own but if you want to buy a specific axe stone the Grands Force ones are very good. And so you work, you, you're working on the, on, the, on the edge and back from the edge around the bevel. And the reason you want to take metal off the whole bevel is because otherwise you end up putting a secondary bevel on it. You want to maintain that same angle. So you've got to take metal, even though you want to sharpen the edge, you've got to take metal off the whole bevel so that you maintain the same shape. And as you do that with the, with the Grantsville stone or with the, uh, say, like half a water stone, you are going to inevitably end up with a little bit of a curve or, um, uh, um, you know, non-flat surface over time. Um, more so with something which is rectangular than something which is um, round. If you're using that pucked style stone it doesn't happen as quickly um, but you can end up with a bit of a divot in the middle um, but it doesn't happen as readily or as quickly. With a rectangular stone that you're always using in the same orientation you tend to end up with a shallow crescent shape. And like any sharpening stone, where you end up with something where it's not flat, you can put it onto a flat surface and work it backwards and forwards or round and round, whenever you want to do it so that you remove the high spots and you bring it back to a flat surface. So one way of doing that is using some wet and dry paper, like sandpaper, wet and dry tends to be a bit better. I've known of people use um, certain uh, ceramic tiles, the back of them, where they're not glazed because that has the right sort of surface, it's not too harsh, but it is abrasive. Um, Some people have used the back of paving slabs. Um, You just need a flat surface that is somewhat abrasive to remove the, the high points, and that's what your friend or person who made the comment about that is talking about. I don't find I need to do it with the pucks very often. They're quite hard. They don't lose a lot of material very quickly. And because they're round, you never quite use them in in exactly the same orientation because they're, They've got, a lot of, they've got that rotational symmetry, whereas with a rectangular stone, you tend to just hold it in the same way each time and you end up with that bowing. Um, but that's, that's what we're talking about. So in terms of looking after them, yeah, if you do end up with something that's not so flat, maybe flatten it off. That's one thing to do. If you're using water, then just dry them off um, before putting them away. Do be careful about allowing them to freeze if they have water uh, soaked into them. So if you're using them in cold environments, make sure that you bring them into the warmth to dry them out, or just or use one with oil in cold environments if you're consistently in a cold environment where you're gonna be in sub-zero temperatures and you can't keep it um, from freezing if it's got water in it. Um, those are the main things you need to do. They're, they're, not, they're pretty low maintenance otherwise. <laughs> using a parang in the boreal question from fred ernst via twitter using the hashtag ask paul curtley and he says he asks do you ever use a parang in the boreal if so for what tasks um well the simple answer fred is no i don't use a parang in the boreal um to me um, and i know this goes against what i've seen some guys on instagram doing for example um for me a parang is a tropical tool comes into its own Raven Um, comes into its own in tropical environments. um, Whether it's for cutting lianas, cutting, you know, doing various things with bamboo, opening uh, coconuts, etc., etc., really, really useful in that environment for those sorts of jobs. Um, Equally, um, quite dangerous. Um, Got a lot of uh, a lot of uh, potential harm if you bring it into contact with your. Uh, with your legs for example, so you do need to be very careful with them, Um, like any larger cutting tool. um, Personally in the boreal forest I prefer using um, an appropriately sized axe, Um, it has the weight and the leverage that I need for cutting dense, um, tightly grained and knotty wood, um, which you are going to need in in the boreal, particularly uh, for processing wood for a wood-burning stove in a hot tent for example or even if you're um, making a uh, a lean-to shelter uh, and a long log fire for example you need a good axe for that and that is a much better tool in my experience than than a parang Um, there's a reason why the axe is the king of the boreal forest tools it's because it works Does that mean that if you took a parang, it wouldn't be useful? No, not at all, I'm not saying that. Um, You'd have to do more battening for splitting wood, um, there's a lot more splitting techniques with axes that you can do freehand, as it were. Um, parangs are not as good for that. I know you can split things, and you, but you're going to have to bat on stuff more. Um, and in terms of felling, larger dead standing, Scots pine trees and things, for example, for processing in northern Scandinavia, um, and same with jack pine, although they never go quite as big as the Scots pines um, in, in, in North America and you know spruce, etc., Parangs, yeah, they could be useful for taking lots of spruce boughs off for, for you know, green boughs for, for putting down. But frankly, that's, I'm not doing that a lot. That's quite destructive. And in, in, in parks, you won't be allowed to do that. You're not supposed to cut green material, even in the winter. Um, so cutting boughs is frowned upon in a lot of places these days. Um, you know, a lot of what you're doing is going to be firewood processing. And the best job, the best tool for that job in the boreal is an axe um that's that's the long and the short of it but if i'm going to the tropics um, if i'm going to uh, northern australia if i'm going to southeast asia that sort of part of the world or central america my choice would be a parang machete that style of cutting tool i wouldn't be looking to take an axe But that said, if I had an axe in that environment, would that be the end of the world? Could I do nothing with it? No, but you've got to, horses for courses. Um, One of the things I get a little bit frustrated with in modern bushcraft, as it were, is a lot of people who are promoting what they do in their environment um, aren't really looking to what the tradition is in that environment. Um, there's a massive tradition of frontiersmanship in North America um, there's a massive tradition of um northern forest skills in eurasia from the uh, people in the north of uh, norway sweden finland and into russia and across siberia you know th- th- there are established ways of doing things and that's not to say you shouldn't challenge the status quo and look at modern materials and look at things but first of all study what people have found to work already uh, i find there's a lot of reinventing the wheel and this is not uh, this is not aimed at you fred it's a perfectly valid question um there's a lot of in reinventing the wheel that seems to be going on um, before people have become fully immersed in the existing skill set. Have some respect for the existing skill set. I find it odd that on the way, on the one hand, some people want to kind of uh, pay homage to the tradition and um, traditional living skills. They, they they're going back to canvas and leather and they want to have that um, you, you know, that feel of the, the old ways, and yet they're not really studying the old ways. Um, so I'd encourage everyone to just really look at what people have done and the nuances of it and why it works and get some experience in those places before you start changing things. It's so what I say to any student of mine, you know, by all means develop stuff. Yep. Yeah? But but try it the way that we're showing you first. Try it the way that's worked for many other people first. Have a go at that and then see see where it takes you. Um, not the other way around. Just because something doesn't quite work for you, you're finding something difficult, isn't a reason to then try and change it. Um, A lot of things, like riding a bicycle, you you don't, most people don't manage it the first time they get on a bicycle. It takes some falling off and wobbling around and people holding you and, you know yeah maybe you start with stabilizers and then you take your stabilizers off and you fall in a bush and you know you go down the driveway and into a you know into a, somebody's you know garden you know you, you you have these episodes when you're a child learning things and for some reason people forget that it's like you don't immediately know how to do everything even if in theory you know how to do it and um, don't be dissuaded by things that are established ways of doing things, maybe being beyond your ability to start off with, don't let that persuade, dissuade you from persisting with those things until you've got a handle on them. And then, okay, you think, well, okay, well, I, I can do this now. And often there'll be an aha moment and, and, and you, can, you can go, okay, yeah, right, I used to find this hard and now it's not so bad. Um, and then if you think of some better ways of refining that, that's an improvement that's an improvement yeah we you've got to stand on the shoulders of what you know we you know this this phrase of standing on the shoulders of giants yeah you don't stand on the shoulders of giants by standing next to them you've got to stand up above them and you've got to climb up there and you've got to get to that point first and one of the benefits that we have now um, is that we have all this material online you can find out a lot more about what works in different places Um, than you ever could before you know 20 years ago it was very difficult other than digging some books out to find things but the downside of that is there's so much noise now as well you've got people just making shit up and um and it's not and 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 people have already 100 years ago 200 years ago a thousand years ago found a better way of doing it and there are people just making stuff up based on theory Um, and i find it quite regressive in some ways so Um, I'm kind of heading into a bit of a rant today but we are on the penultimate Aspore Kirtley and we haven't had a rant for a while but you know so that is not aimed at you Fred it's a perfectly valid question Um, do I use a Parang and a Boreal no I don't there are reasons why it's because I prefer an axe and that is my chosen tool and um, you know would I carry an axe and a Parang no yeah, the axe is the most important tool, and then some sort of knife to go along with that for making feather sticks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, that, that, you know, and anything, any other smaller jobs. Quilts versus sleeping bags via Twitter using the hashtag #AskPaulKirtley from A Perry. Now the weather is turning colder. What are your thoughts on using a synthetic quilt on top of a down bag to move the dew point to the inside of the synthetic rather than the down layer? And what's your opinion of quilts versus sleeping bags in general? Um, well, the quilt's just a just a different type of blanket, really, and we've talked about blankets in the past, we talk about wool wool blankets in the past. Um, I think there is some benefit of putting a cover over your sleeping bag to maybe make sure that condensation is on the outside. We've talked about using bivy bags with sleeping bags before and, and personally if I'm bivvying in sub-zero temperatures I will use a bivy bag rather than just have my sleeping bag out in the open and um, I find that useful. It helps keep the bag clean, it helps keep moisture off. Helps trap another layer of air between the bivy bag and the sleeping bag. All of those things. But yeah, if you were in a tent, it might be a, a little bit more pleasant. You got a bit. You don't want to be using a bivy bag inside a tent. It, or, generally, it wouldn't be my first choice. There are some circumstances in which that you might need to do that. If the inside of your tent was sodden, for example, from uh, dunking in a river, um, you know, while canoeing or whatnot, and you might need to just keep your sleeping bag from coming into contact with wet material. Um, but generally if you're choosing to use, um, you know, if you're choosing how you sleep in a tent, I wouldn't be choosing to use a bivy bag, but yeah, you could use, a, qu- a quilt would work quite nicely inside a tent um, because you've still got the freedom to move around underneath it inside your sleeping bag and you've got this sort of nice warm layer over the top. Um, I've used something called the Fjellduken. I talked about that very early on in the, it's funny how these things come full circle. Fjellduken, um, which is Norwegian for mountain blanket, um, the, um, the Yerven uh, brand, which is the, uh, the uh, Wolverine uh, brand, if you like, um, I talked about those, was it Asper episode one or two? Very early on, I talked about Dukan's mountain blanket is what that means. And yeah, I've used those in conjunction with sleeping bags sometimes. Um, either just a bit underneath... You know, sleeping bag on top rolled over a bit like you would a wool blanket but with a sleeping bag in that's quite nice i've used them when it's warm just on their own um as a sleeping uh almost like a poncho liner that kind of thing um there's lots of combinations yeah there's lots of combinations the thing that i would ask you though is that if you're using you know whether you're using a synthetic sleeping bag a down sleeping bag a synthetic duvet a uh, a combination of some sleeping bag and a quilt or duvet and you're saying well that you know the moisture is going to go into that rather than this you've still got to deal with the moisture in that um, and if you're out for any length of time you don't really want moisture getting into your sleeping kit if you can't air it out warm it up and air it out because it will if it stays frozen into that even the even the quilt it will stay frozen into that and it will it will reduce inefficiency over time as well as Uh, increasing in weight and it won't be as useful. Um, At least the benefit of using something like a bivy bag is that if you get frost on the outside or even the inside of a bivy bag um, you can turn it whichever way around you know outside in or inside out um, or the right way around and you can get rid of most of the frost off that and shake it off if there's moisture on the inside you can hang it out in the frost and you can shake it it off because there's nothing really for the moisture much to soak into compared to say a synthetic quilt or a synthetic bag or a down bag. Um, So I I, I personally um, wonder if there's a huge amount of benefit um, in terms of avoiding the degradation of uh, insulative properties of anything even when you're combining them I think it's better to try and get the dew on the outside of something where you can easily get it off but is there some advantage to having a nice comfy space say there's two of you sharing a two-person tent having a quilt that could go over both of you while you're both in your individual sleeping bags that might be quite pleasant as well so there's lots of different combos um but in terms of sheer performance i would just make sure i had a decent sleeping bag and i'd be using a bivy bag in sub-zero temperatures um, What you can do then is just chuck your jacket over the top as well. That keeps keeps things a little bit further out. So like a shell layer jacket over the top to keep things off. um, That's another option. I have though, and I'm sort of slightly contradicting myself here. here, What I have done as well is I've used a a synthetic um, M90 Swedish duvet jacket it's like a synthetic duvet jacket the closest thing you might think of to a quilt really that you might wear and i've used that over the top of a bivy bag and sleeping bag combo while sleeping out in about minus 30 celsius um but that's just that that's an occasional thing um and um yes okay the perhaps might have been some moisture introduced to that which can be hard to get rid of but at least I'm wearing that from time to time and my body warmth is maybe potentially going to get rid of some of that but equally it's subject to the same issues that you might have using a quilt and the other thing I would go right back to as well is um, are you static camping are you moving around are you going to have to carry this stuff with you Um, think about weight versus performance you've always got to think about weight versus performance you know if you're if you're ski touring with a backpack I'd be just trying to use a really high-performance down sleeping bag combined with a bivy bag um, and a sleeping mat. If you if you're on a snow machine or a dog sled, then you've got a bit more uh, leeway. For example, if you if you're hauling stuff on a toboggan with snowshoes, um, you've got a little bit more leeway again. Still, but equally then bulk is an issue as well you don't want tons and tons of bulky stuff and quilts and duvets tend to be quite bulky so it's really a, it, you know looking at the different parameters that you're working within performance what are the absolute temperatures can you get things warm and dry are you going to be in a heated tent occasionally are you going to be in a heated cabin occasionally or just out in the cold the whole time can you get things aired out um, do you have to carry everything on your back is weight at an absolute premium is bulk going to be an issue and then you've just got to sort of step optimize what you're going to do within those within those parameters and um, find the best solution question from sally harvey coming by email and sally's done a few courses with me um hi paul a question for ask pk as a female in my late 60s attending two of your courses i have been surprised to find that i am not always the oldest person on the course and certainly not the only female i've always been involved with outdoor activities but came to bushcraft later in life this has its advantages in that i have the time to attend courses no longer constrained by a work timetable. I'm just generally interested in the demographic of folk that attend your courses and really encouraged by the inclusiveness of the bushcraft community. Like to get your broader perspective on this regards, Sal." Well, that's a nice question, Sally. And um, yeah, one of the things that I find really quite gratifying about teaching bushcraft to, uh, whether it's on physical courses or whether it's online um it's the range of different people that it attracts and the range of different people who feel like they can gain something from it um you know whether that's youngsters um you know and there's you know youngsters get a lot of bad press these days are oh, young people, they're always on their phones and they're always, you know, they stay in their bedrooms and they're on PlayStations. And I'm sure there are kids like that. But there were kids like that when I was a kid who didn't really go out very much. Um, you know, who played with their train sets or made Airfix models or um, just read books or whatever. There's always people, there's going to be people who like being outside more and there's going to be people who like being inside more and maybe what they do when they're there changes over time. But that's just, that's just people. Um, And I do think people sort of denigrate Young people, I, I, you know, I find young people really engage with a lot of what we do in bushcraft. Whether it's fire lighting, building shelters, a little bit of tracking, which is kind of like hide and seek, um, whether it's going and finding tasty uh, fruits in the, you know, in the autumn, and you know, all of those things kids like. They do enjoy that. They enjoy going out and foraging fungi with their parents. You know, there's lots of stuff that kids enjoy doing they're like poking around and standing in streams and splashing around and just being out and about so you know young people absolutely you know people give Millennials a hard time these days as well but there's plenty of people in their 20s who come on courses and get a lot out of it as well right through to you know people who were in the scouts when they were younger and then they got a career and they haven't done a lot of people they haven't done a lot of stuff we get a lot of people like that who did things in the outdoors when they were younger and then they then university and jobs and families and things happen to them um, or you know that, that makes it sound you know untoward but you know life happens all of a sudden they, dis- they discover oh I'm going outside with my kids again for example and I haven't really done much outside for years I'd like to learn a little bit more I'd like to brush up on my skills so we have quite a few people like that who come on courses and You know, we have people who have, you know, like yourself, who've done quite a lot of other outdoor activities over the years who come to want to learn um, about what bushcraft can offer them as well. And what can they learn more about the natural environment rather than just using um, their skills to pass through the environment. How can they interact more with the environment? What can they learn about you know, direction and animal tracks and sign and foraging and all of these different aspects, not to mention you know, the sort of survival basics of shelters and fires and using tools and all of those sorts of things um, that everyone's interested in. <clears throat> um so you get people wanting to sort of round out their outdoor skills as well and you're, you're a great example of that and that's something that with a lot of what we do that you can do at pretty much any age you know i've had people in their 70s on on courses um so you know it, it, it's it, it's it's a real broad church both in terms you know so you know in terms of age um, i would say most of the people who come and do my courses are um you know, if you look at the distribution, most of the people are in there. Say, I would say, early to mid twenties is is that kind of end of the distribution uh, for, uh, you know, the sort of fattest bit of the distribution in the middle. You know, you get a lot of people, thirties, thirties, forties, and fifties. Definitely, a lot of people coming to do courses, and then okay, not so many in sixties and seventies, but still some. And um, you know, every, what what's nice is that everyone. You know around the campfire gets on you know you can have a group of people on a course as, as you saw on say the woodcrafter last year um and on the on the windermere course that you've done with me you know you've got young through to older and everyone just gets on and gets stuck in and what was great about you coming on i particularly remember on the on the windermere course sal that you know you got stuck in as hard as anybody um if not harder on the you know the wood collection and the wood splitting and all that kind of stuff um and so you know i don't like to make any sort of presupposition about people um, everyone's got something to offer and often one of the things that older people have got and it's just life experience is people older people um you know from middle age onwards often have a strong work ethic they get stuff done um, partly because that served them well through their lives they've learned that that's how you have to orient yourself and get on with things and also um maybe they're thinking right i'm not so young and you know and there's lots of things i want to learn i just want to get on with this so i think it's great having a, a real range of people around you know there's lots of role models there as well for for different age groups and then of course you know if you've got a a a, a sort of culturally diverse um you know socio-economic you know diversity cultural diversity there as well um i there isn't as much cultural diversity in terms of people coming to do bushcraft courses as i would like but i think that's not specific to bushcraft i think it it's it's across outdoor leisure activities in the uk in general i think we we i think it would be good to see more but equally you know you, you, you you shouldn't try and foist things on people i think people come to things when it's um when it's the right time for them and um it's an interesting question why is it why is bushcraft or any other outdoor activity why is it the right time for us to be doing this um for me to be doing this i think that's always a good question to ask yourself of what is it that you know what's drawing me to this um that can help guide you in in how you approach it as well but but certainly um you know, it's 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 a broad church. It's not an exclusive activity in any way, sense of the in any sense of the word. And I would always, um, I would always uh, welcome anybody um, as long as they're um, willing to learn. Um, then I'm happy uh, to have them on, on the courses. Um, so somewhat anecdotal um, and specific to, to my experience, but uh, those are my thoughts, Sally. Uh, when to use the finer side of a sharpening stone hello Paul my name is John Kotko and I just recently subscribed thank you for the video is very much appreciated look forward to learning more with your help okay my question is on the sharpening of your knife you are using a two-sided stone coarse on one side finer on the other I'm assuming when would you use the fine side Is the fine side for certain types of blades or for all blades? Is there a process of starting on the course then to the fine? Yes, I definitely will go back and watch the video again. Um, So I think the video you're talking about, John, is the one where I'm talking about getting the bevel angle correctly. And the focus of that video is not about the whole sharpening process it's about one specific thing which a lot of people struggle with at least initially is with a flat beveled knife or a scandy grind knife is making sure they don't round that flat bevel and that is really down to getting the angle correct and maintaining that angle as you go through your sharpening process and that's what that video is about which is why you've probably got these other questions around the broader process um, and he goes on to say, I might, I might have missed it uh, and you already covered it. My apologies if so. I don't mean to take up uh, too much of your time and I hope I didn't ask a stupid question. <laughs> Lol, I'm kind of slow at times. Well, thanks again, sincerely, John Cotco. Well, you're not being slow, John. Um, as I say, that was about a specific element really of the sharpening, sharpening pro- process and one that people find. Uh, a little bit tricky at times and there is a photo tutorial on my blog about sharpening knives and that goes through the whole process from start to finish and I will link to that from this uh, from this session Um, and there's a lot of good quality photographs on there which talk you through um, the process and also talks you through but in in a nutshell um, what you want to do is when you've got a blunt knife um, you want to those bevels you want to bring together so you've got a fine edge so you've either got some sort of flattening on the edge or you've got some chips or dinks or you've or the tops rounded or whatever so basically what you need to do is take metal equally off both bevels and bring it back to relatively fine edge compared to where you start but what you're going to have is two things one is you want to put it onto a relatively abrasive stone to start off with that so you're going to get the metal off quickly and you're not all there all day Um so you've got two things one one is that the edge of that if you looked at it under a microscope is quite jaggy it's like a um it's like a saw edge and also you're going to end up with where those two edges come together you'll end up with a very fine foil of metal which if you're not careful when you go back to using the knife you can you can break it off and then you're back to where you started with a flat edge so what you want to do is once you feel like you've got a fine foil you've got a little burr because you'll sharpen it on one side it'll bend over you can feel it once you've got that fine foil you've definitely know you've brought the edges the two bevels together into one edge you've got that foil forming um go over to the fine side at that stage and then you repeat the process and as i say the process is in that um in that uh, article you repeat the process at that stage so you do your multiple strokes on one side your multiple strokes on the other side and what you're doing then is taking the the raggedy edge and making it a little finer also you're probably going to wear off some of that foil a little bit although not entirely and you're making a finer edge effectively so you're making it bringing it to a finer finish and those people that use a series of increasingly fine stones are taking that To a further degree, but if you've just got a stone with two different grades, start on the coarse side, multiple strokes, uh, and then go to single strokes. You'll make sure that that foil is flapping from one side to the other. You can feel the burr. Once you've done that, once once you've done that, change over to the fine side. Repeat that process, and you'll have to go for a bit longer because it's not as abrasive. And you're going to get to a point where you've done a lot of uh, repeated strokes. It's quite a nice fine edge. You've got this. you've got this foil there that's still there potentially but you've got a finer edge what you're then going to do is take it onto your strop and you're going to strop it um, partly to remove that burr and to bring everything into alignment and then you're good to go. Um, That is in a nutshell the basic process and it's explained in detail in the article which um, if you haven't found it already um, is linked from this episode. Link up there YouTube people, um, link underneath and link underneath the um, audio on my blog at paulcurtley.co.uk. Just find Ask Paul Curtley episode 79. Um, Next question. Visit USA for bushcraft festivals is the title of this. And this is from Adrian Hester via Twitter, again using the hashtag Ask Paul Curtley. And he says, Ask Paul Curtley was wondering if you... Ever come over to the U.S. for bushcraft festival, or festival islands, festivals, festivals? Even um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I probably need uh, some food. Um, so, I have never been over to the U.S. for a bushcraft festival. Um, the only bushcraft festival that I am aware of. Uh, excuse my ignorance if there are many but the only one that i'm aware of is the new england uh, bushcraft show which i have been invited to um, and i was invited to for the 2019 um, new england bushcraft show but unfortunately my diary um, my schedule uh As you can imagine, uh, particularly with running courses and trips and expeditions, um, as well well as other commitments in my time, my schedule tends to get blocked out quite a long way in advance. And so um, I was already committed to uh, running courses right through May 2019 when the guys Um, at the New England Bushcraft Show asked if I could go over for that, so I I couldn't go over for that. I hope at some point in the future I might be able to get over for that, but next year I won't be able to. Um, And that's the only one that I'm aware of. Um, In terms of coming over to uh, to North America in general, I am coming to the Global Bushcraft Symposium, and if you're not aware of the Global Bushcraft Symposium, um, it's going to be quite an event, by the looks of things, the way it's shaping up. Um, just Google Global Bushcraft Symposium. I'll also put a link in the usual places for this episode. And um, I am presenting there. I'll be one of the keynote speakers there, and I'll also be running some workshops. Exactly what um, we're still in. Well, it's still in discussions about. It's you know, it's a bit of a movable feast because there's going to be a lot of high quality people there and um, the organisers are looking to get a really good suite of uh, talks and workshops and various other things going on there. So that's um, in Alberta in Canada next June, um, 10 to the 14th of June if I remember correctly off the top of my head, apologies if that's not right, I will link through to Global Bushcraft Symposium uh, from here as well so you can just double check that but definitely check it out there's going to be Morse Kohansky there Cody London and tons of other really good quality people um, and there's myself and Lisa Fenton um, will be there from the UK and there will be um, a, a whole host of people from uh, Canada and the States and uh, various other places around the world as well I'm sure by the time the lineup's finished um, so that's going to be a really good event And so I will be over for that next year in 2019. And um, also there might be a little bit more about that on uh, my podcast, the uh, Paul Kirtley podcast, Before Too Long. Um, Nothing recorded yet, but things are in... Uh, the works to maybe record a little bit to talk about what's going to be happening um, and what to expect from the Global Bushcraft Symposium and also what I'm hoping to do is when I'm there is catch up with some of the other instructors and workshoppers and presenters there and record some interviews in the same way as I've done at the bushcraft festival and for the past couple of years um, it's it's a nice way of bringing um, a group of people together in a more magazine format but I might also do some longer form interviews if I have time no promises yet so again just to re-emphasize what i said at the beginning if you are not subscribed if there's going to be one hard sell in this episode if you are not subscribed to the paul kirtley podcast already subscribe please um you owe it to yourself um, that is going to be a focus that's going to be my main focus of audio only content high quality spoken word content um on all the major pod, podcast platforms. That is gonna be a major thing that I'm gonna be doing. Um, I've be, I've had my podcast for a number of years. Um, I've sporadically put out episodes. They're all good quality episodes, but I really want to up the tempo of that now because having spent a lot of time talking to people over, particularly over this year on my courses and on trips and meeting people at places like the Bushcraft Show um yes the ask paul kirtley's are um really important to a lot of you um it's the my answering of questions that's important to you and that is going to continue on the paul kirtley podcast but also the thing that's really come to the fore is how useful important and informative the paul kirtley podcast has become to a lot of people in terms of me bringing um people um into their into their ears as it were um, while they're on their commute while they're on the bus while they're on the train while they're driving to work or to and from work or while they're taking the kids to sports practice on the weekend or whatever it is one guy came up to me at the bushcraft show and said that i'd made his ironing very much more enjoyable because of the uh, because of the podcasts um that's one of the great things about audio you can be doing other things at the same time while um getting all of that useful information and opinion and thought into your brain at the same time and and I think that's why the the Paul Kirtley podcast is really working and I know the audio side of the Ask Paul Kirtley works really well as well which is why I'm going to integrate a Q&A a a regular uh like I say the original plan is to do a monthly Q&A on the Paul Kirtley podcast so that all of the Ask Paul Kirtley questions that you send in with the hashtags in the usual way will be uh we selected that way and what i might do occasionally as well this is another idea that people have had is have a themed episode so say next month i'm going to be asking questions, answering questions about um clothing for cold environments or next month i'm going to be answering questions about water purification or whatever it is so we can have these themed sessions um where I have a range of different questions, and also I can add some more technical info as well, which would make a nice mixture of stuff. so that's something that I'm going to look to do um, as well as just answering whatever questions you've got for me. Um, and then YouTube, if you're not subscribed to my YouTube channel for whatever reason, don't know why you wouldn't be, um, only if you never go on YouTube, I can imagine is the only reason you wouldn't be, please subscribe to my channel, um, go down and you know, I, my uh, my uh, a good friend of mine, his 11-year-old um, 11-year-old daughter said that the phraseology that I should use is "go down and smash that subscribe button" if you want to see more quality videos. So I am going to be producing some really high-quality videos, um, more skills-based, more overnighters, more uh, trip-based stuff. So you get the benefit of being. A sort of fly on the wall if you like with me in the woods on the trail on canoe trips etc etc and that is going to be the focus of my youtube channel and please subscribe there and that brings me to the end of this episode of ask paul kirtley so keep the questions coming in hashtag ask paul kirtley i will see you on episode 80 or you'll hear me on episode 80 which will be the last Ask Paul Kirtley in this format, in this stream. As I said, if it's not clear to you already, Ask Paul Kirtley is moving to the Paul Kirtley podcast as an audio audio only Q&A. Please make sure you don't miss out, but I will see you on the final 80th episode of Ask Paul Kirtley before too long. Take care and enjoy the outdoors.